So you want to start a podcast, right? I know it can seem really daunting and complicated to have to think through how to record it or how to edit it and even how to upload it. But don't worry about any of that. I'm about to give you the only tool you need to create an A1 top of the line podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even start making money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M, to get started today. Now, let's get back into our content. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Black Fashion History. I am, of course, your host, Taniqua Russ, and I just want to say that y'all are freaking amazing. You guys that listen to the podcast every week or every other week, as it has now become, but I promise you I'll get better. Y'all are amazing. I love you guys so much, and I appreciate all the support. I was looking at my reviews on Apple Podcasts the other day and somebody wrote the best comment ever. Like this comment made my day. I screenshotted it. I save it for when I feel like I'm not doing enough or I'm not good enough. And this comment, like it encourages me. So shout out to whoever vintage fashion lover is. He or she wrote Valerie Steele could never. And that is the best comment I've ever received. For you guys who don't know, Valerie Steele is a fashion historian. She is a curator and the director at the Museum of the Fashion Institute of Technology. She's written tons of books, super knowledgeable about fashion, but one thing she don't do is black fashion history, baby. And so I love that comment. Shout out to you, vintage fashion lover, and all of you who rate the podcast who leave reviews who send me dms who leave comments who engage who listen who share all that good stuff i really appreciate it you keep me going you keep the podcast going and most importantly you keep our history going and that is the point and speaking of history today i'm going to be talking about a black first and when i say black first i essentially mean the first black person to do something now when I do solo podcasts where I'm not interviewing anyone I usually talk about a black designer there have been a couple of cases in the past where you know I did the review of the remix and then we talked about dress and civil rights but normally I've been talking about designers but today we are going to talk about the first black woman to appear on the cover of a mainstream fashion magazine in the United States for sure, but probably in the world. And her name is Katiti Kirunde. Katiti is a Ugandan woman and she is the daughter of the first ambassador to the United Nations from Uganda. And in 1968, while she was an undergraduate student at Harvard University, 
She entered Glamour Magazine's Best Dressed College Girls Contest and she won, which I thought was quite remarkable for that period of time. That was 1968. At that point, Glamour Magazine had been in production for 30 years. The 1960s was not a time that celebrated black beauty, certainly not on mainstream majority white platforms and so here you have this beautiful brown um not racially ambiguous but a brown black woman from an african country from uganda and she won this contest to be on the cover of such a big magazine in her own words she said that she was always told that she was beautiful so understanding her beauty or appreciating herself wasn't necessarily the issue you know she was told that she was beautiful she comes from an African country where everyone looks like her so what was interesting to her though was that even though she had always been told that she was good looking or celebrated for her looks she never saw her type of beauty celebrated in America or among mainstream publications so that made her win very surprising she graced the cover of the magazine in the August 1968 issue and to this day it is the best-selling issue of glamour magazine of all time it has sold well over 2 million copies if one of y'all out there can get me a copy of this issue of glamour i will love you forever i will send you a gift or something um that's how bad i want my hands on one of these because that's amazing like again to have a brown african woman on the cover of a white magazine and um wow let me do the math like uh, well over 40 years later that issue is still the most popular and highest selling issue of that magazine when you've had people like Grace Kelly, Jane Fonda, Mia Farrow, Cindy Crawford, Madonna all very popular um, mainstream beauties at the time and throughout the decades for the audience that Glamour magazine is geared toward it's a remarkable feat to be a black woman virtually unknown black woman like she wasn't an actress or a model at the time she was someone who won a contest so to have her issue be the top selling one is quite amazing in a 2016 interview on the podcast work wives with an editor of glamour magazine katiti did say the following statement there was a certain accepted type of beauty and I can promise you that if I was a young black woman with a big afro and didn't look how I look, no matter how good my clothes are, they would have never picked me. Now I share that quote from her because I think it brings up an interesting point. So in my assessment, when I look at the cover of the August 1968 issue of Glamour, I see a very clearly black woman um, with black features so she has a broad nose she has full lips very clear black features um 
However, her hair is straightened and it's curled, very reminiscent of Shirley Chisholm. So while she is black and she looks black, and I make it a point to say she looks black because I want to get across the understanding that this isn't a woman who sheer look was palatable to the white palette. However, there were aspects of her look that were more acceptable. Um, and if I have to venture off and make an inference, I believe that's what she was talking about. Because in 1968, you have to think like we are in, you know, the heart of the civil rights movement. Um, you have the black power movement, you have the black panthers who have afros and they're seen as being very militant by white people at the time and so that kind of image was not getting on anybody's magazine cover not with what was going on in the 60s um, there was no way that a mainstream white fashion magazine was going to push that so I do understand what she was saying when she made that statement now back to Katiti's story after she graduated from Harvard, now I just want to pause real quick again. This woman went to Harvard, okay? So she was not just beautiful on the inside. I mean, she was not just beautiful on the outside, but she was also beautiful on the inside. She had brains and we stand a black queen who has beauty and brains. Anyway, after she graduated from Harvard, she went to pursue a career in design and manufacturing and she'd spent the next 30 years working in fashion. So she worked for companies like TJ Maxx and Laura Ashley and then she eventually started her own clothing line called Katiti, which specialized in creating the perfect white shirt for women. She loved this concept of a white shirt, especially for women, because it really is the like the footstool or the building block of your classic wardrobe. This is very fitting for her because on her Glamour magazine cover, she wore a white shirt, which she made herself. She made all of the clothes that she wore on that cover, again, proving why she won best dress. So her creating a label around this idea that every woman should have a classic piece that fits her body and style was a no-brainer. So with her line, she really took into consideration the body of a woman, making sure that the buttons felt in appropriate places. She took into consideration how women would accessorize their pieces and really used her brand as a stepping stone to create the perfect wardrobe for a stylish chic woman. She also created Harvard's first ever introductory seminar on fashion for freshmen and it was called an introduction to fashion and she taught many fashion courses at Fisher College and also served as a mentor to young fashion designers. In her 2016 interview with Workwives podcast, she said that as a black woman, there was nobody who particularly took an interest in her and she was speaking in terms of mentorship. So while she was working in the industry, she really wanted to be that mentor figure for other black creatives in fashion. 
fashion is such a who do you know and who knows you industry that it can be really hard to get your foot in the door or even progress because it's not necessarily based on merit. Like you can do all of the great work and have all of the talent, but in some cases, if you don't know somebody who can vouch for you or try to open a door for you or help you navigate and introduce you to somebody else, you don't necessarily get to where you could be. And so it's very important in fashion for those black creatives who have made it to the top levels of their companies and respective areas to reach down and mentor others. And I know a lot of people feel like, well, I got here on my own and put myself up my bootstraps and all that. But if you really want to increase diversity in the industry, if you really care about seeing black creatives succeed, care about supporting black brands and designers and all that blackly black, 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 black stuff that we talk about on Instagram, you have to do your part in mentoring and introducing people, opening doors for them, giving them opportunities so that we can create more wealth in our communities and hopefully finally be able to stop having the conversation about lack of diversity in the industry. Anyway, nowadays, Katiti Kirunde works as a philanthropist and dare I say, um, kind of social activist. She's the president of the Kirunde Health and Education Fund, which is a nonprofit fund that works to ensure orphaned and vulnerable children have access to clean water and medicine. She did a TED talk about the importance of children having access to these things, the importance of eradicating poverty and just about all of the good that she's been doing with her organization and in her home country of Uganda. So she's not just a fashion first or black fashion first, but she is a world changer and trailblazer. And that's it, you guys. As always, thanks again for tuning into another episode of Black Fashion History. I always enjoy getting on here and talking to you all about the historical contributions of Black figures worldwide to the luxury fashion industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to visit our website at www.blackfashionhistory.com. There, we're going to have all of the show notes from today including all of my sources for today's episode i also have black fashion resources for all of you that are interested in learning more about our history specifically as it relates to fashion just hit the resources tab there are books there are websites all of that good stuff so make sure to check out blackfashionhistory.com of course Follow us on social media at Black Fashion History Podcast over on Instagram. Share this episode with a friend. Leave us a review. Rate us five stars. Follow us on all the podcasting platforms. All of those wonderful things. But if you do nothing else, I want you to please come back again next week for another riveting episode of Black Fashion History. Bye-bye.